Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espino. So we're looking at the entire Bible together, reading it out loud, chapter by chapter, back in 1 Corinthians. It was really cool, though, looking at Psalm 50 yesterday. We just saw all these—I mean, you just get a whole background picture of what's going on in 1 Corinthians 10. So tomorrow, it'll be really cool to draw on all of that and to really see, okay, that's what Paul's getting at. Uh, but today, we're, we're back into the thick of the argument here as Paul's developing— uh, th- this letter that's really addressed to just the parish life, you know, just life on the ground, the situation that they have going on there um, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so it's going to be building up to, to chapter 10, and it's continuing what we talked about last week, about this stuff about rights. Uh, and he's just developing it here further. You know, yeah, there, there's rights, and, you know, he, he's got more rights, right? I mean, he's an apostle. But look— what the Christian does, look what a Christian leader does, really with his own rights, um, gives them up voluntarily for the sake of others. So just a really timely message for us to meditate on today. Uh, and we have joining us today as our guest, we've got Pastor Stuart Crown, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Good morning, brother. How are you and the brothers and sisters doing in uh, Palo Alto? Uh, the Lord be with, be with you. We are doing well in Palo Alto. Our congregation is surviving despite isolation. We are gathering on Sunday mornings outside, and then we have an online stream service. All right. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm glad to hear it. And you know, we've uh, we've also out here um, in Irvine been been meeting outside, and it's uh, it's it's just been a blessing. I mean, it's been a little bit getting used to. Uh, you know, I think that there have been some who have been a little bit um, antsy about some of the, the beetles that have been coming by <laughs> in, the, in the middle of everything. So there are, there are certain distractions that maybe uh, take some getting used to. But, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly something that uh, doesn't, doesn't take away from worship when you're just thinking about um, that theme that we get in the next chapter and in this one, that all things are part of God's good creation. Certainly. Well, so taking a look here at, at 1 Corinthians 9, um, you know, it, it, we've been talking about this this theme of rights. Um, you know, today he kind of gets a little bit more into the uh, the Jew and the Gentile, the, the law and being free from the law kind of um, imagery. So developing a little bit into that, uh, it, it, though, even though he's talking about Jews and Greeks, it's, it's not something— that's just, uh, you know, something that's for 2,000 years ago for a really particular weird cultural situation. It really speaks to our times. I, mean, I think really so when we're all thinking about what we're allowed to do as churches and what our rights are, right? Yes, you know, Paul's argument is really solidly uh, Christ-centered. Although he doesn't quote Mark 10 that Christ came to serve not to be served, you can see that, you can hear that through all of Paul's words in these chapters. Uh, and that keeps us focused. That's not about our rights per se, but it's our, about our identity in Christ and how we can use that to serve the gospel and to serve others. I think that will really keep us centered on Paul's proclamation here. Uh, I think so. Well, as we get started, brother, would you open us up with a prayer? Yes. Uh, the Lord be with you. 
and also with you. Let us pray. Lord God, our gracious Heavenly Father, your Son, Christ Jesus, willingly set aside the prerogatives of all his glory and took on our form that he might be the servant of all, even to death upon the cross. And therefore you exalted him that he might become our faithful high priest. As you have given us his mind in holy baptism, enliven us now by your Holy Spirit and by your faithful word, that we regard ourselves as servants one of the other members of his body. Grant us that we freely relinquish what you have given to us, that others may be built up in the body of Christ, not only our brothers and sisters, but those who have not yet heard about your love for us, your faithful love in your Son, Christ Jesus. Grant this to his Father for the sake of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. And I appreciate in your prayer, uh, you directing us, you know, Paul, Paul talks about his own example in 1 Corinthians 9, but I mean, the example of Christ, really, especially as you mentioned, considering his his status as high priest, it, it's it's one of, really, I think it was, um, it was this year that I, re- I really just really started to really think about that, how, I mean, well, without without getting too much into it already, but just thinking about you know when our Lord, the the true High Priest by right, is there in front of a usurper appointed by the Romans who has mm-hmm. no right to be the High Priest, right? And he's just letting it mm-hmm. happen. I mean, the Lord is, I mean, the ultimate picture of surrendering rights, you know, e- even in the sake of those who have no right, but just d- doing it out of love. I mean, it's a it's an amazing example. But then, of course. Uh, just like the ultimate fulfillment here for for our sake. Yeah, that may that may go right to the heart of why Paul mentions being a free man and being an apostle. Typically, maybe the Corinthians would have thought about that's the high position, that's what you aim for. And Paul says, well, that may be what you think you aim for, but rather as Christians, they are offices or vocations of serving, of, yeah. of washing the feet. Right, right. You know, a, a very yeah, a good allusion there too to the Gospel of John. But well, without any further ado, let's uh, go ahead and read through First Corinthians chapter nine here. So this is uh, starting from the top, and the English Standard Version here. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? 
Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel! For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So just a, a, a really elegant argument that's being put together here. Um, and I really, the, the thing that, that jumps out to me in, in this chapter is just how I mean, he really just puts it out there. Okay, look, you know, I, I have to preach the gospel, right? And he's not saying it as much, but he's like, you know, Jesus Christ appeared to me on the road and said I had to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just have to do that. That I'm just, I'm a servant just doing what was asked of me, right? Like in the Lord's own parable in the gospel, right? Um, he just, he very much is just saying, look, that that's just the baseline. The baseline expectation is that I would preach and that I would uh, get paid for it. But you know what? I'm not really concerned with the baseline requirement here. Uh, what I'm interested in doing is whatever possible I can in order to enhance this, to, to serve others, to, to love others. And, I mean, just, just how he says, okay, this, this is the rule, this is the requirement, sure, but I want to try to go way past just the bare minimum, which which is— uh, I mean, I mean, it's a it's a great and very instructive example for us when you know we have such a culture of well, just what are the rules so I can kind of do my own thing within that framework. Yeah, this fits very well. I mean, how you describe Paul with his zealousness before being brought to Christ, and how that zealousness for the law is now transferred to the zealousness for the pr- proclamation of the gospel. Whatever it takes, he is going to do. 
Um, there is no above and beyond the call of duty. It's all duty, as it were. He's a new man, and therefore everything about him is disposed for the gospel. You know, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I think, I mean, it, it's interesting, though, like, the way, the way he talks about it. I, I mean, I do think that the way he feels about it is that, you know, he, he's just, he's he's got to do this. I, I, I don't think he's at all waffling, like, ah, well, maybe I'll do it, maybe I'll not, you know. I, I mean, I think he, he sees it in very clear terms for himself. It is interesting the way he, he talks about it, though, that, um, you know, I guess he talks about it in terms of, like, reward and boasting, right? He's like, well, just preaching the gospel, right, and getting paid, that that that's good, and that would be required of me, but there's no boasting or reward in that. But if I do it for free, then there's boasting and reward. It's it's kind of interesting the way he he puts it that way. Uh, sure, that, I mean, I use this illustration probably too often with my congregation, but an <laughs> apple tree doesn't get to boast because it produces apples. It does that by nature, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And, yeah. But if you if it had a will and could produce pears instead, well, then you would owe it something because it did something beyond yeah. or different. Uh, but Paul, yeah. by nature, as a new man, as this apostle, that's, his, that's the will that he has. And so he doesn't get, uh, yeah, as you said, privileges for boasting. It's his father's will. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good analogy there, right? I mean, like, you, you don't... You don't get to, to brag about just, you know, the thing that you just are by nature. And, and in fact, he, he makes the same argument earlier when he's um, criticizing the Corinthians for their their knowledge. If I can remember where that was, I think it was um, it was back in chapter—where was that? It was in an earlier chapter, um, back in—yeah, that's right, chapter 4, right, where mm -hmm. it was in—he was talking about knowledge— and he was saying, you know, hey, you know, if you've got this knowledge, it was, yeah, chapter 4, verse 7. You know, why do you have that you didn't receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? You know, like, why, why do you act so high and mighty because you have this knowledge when, I mean, yeah, it's just you have the knowledge because someone gave it to you. I mean, it's just like, you know, you make apples because someone made you an apple tree. There's what, What's the point in boasting about that? Right. I mean, it, rem it should remind us of... Luther's explanation to the first article of the Creed, uh, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey. Yeah. That's simply what yeah, I do. No, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's true. And, and, and it's that, you know, that, that word duty, you know, uh, I mean, Luther uses it a lot, actually, in, in the small catechism right there, what you mentioned in connection with the, uh, the first article. Um, you know, but he also uses it um, in connection, well, I mean, of course, to the table of duties, right? Just, mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's kind of all over the small catechism. And, you know, sometimes it, it's kind of ironic how, I, I guess, in like Lutheran circles, we, we kind of like are, are squeamish about the word duty or obligation. We're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it, we're, we're about the gospel. We don't like this duty obligation language. And it's like, well, I get what you're saying, but I mean, we don't have to be scared of these words. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's duty and obligation, not like, you know, we, we got to do this because if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, then it, it's not like that. But it's just, you know, because we have been rescued by the gospel, these are the—this is the new nature, the new obligation that goes along with it, not not as a burden, but just as, as you were saying, a new creation. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine, you know, Paul might have had some frustration as he wrote or as he dictated his letter, but the, the joy in the background of, I get to proclaim the gospel to these individuals, to the people of Corinth, 
the joy that just exudes through his his intensity as he writes or as he speaks. I, well, they, and, and let's look at some of. Go ahead. Well, I was thinking about the quotation from uh, Deuteronomy: "Do not oh, muzzle yeah. an ox." And God is not concerned about oxen, is He? Who is <laughs> yeah. He really concerned about? I mean, there is this. I'm telling you what he's about to be concerned about. Uh, he's yeah. concerned about the gift of the gospel. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I know. And, and then the the Old Testament quotation um, from from Psalm 50 in the next chapter. Right? I mean, when he when he quotes these Bible verses, I mean, there is like you were saying this intensity about it. Like he's like, I I know exactly how this applies to this situation. You know, he's speaking directly to us guys, and, and I think that kind of enthusiasm and intensity just spills into the rest of the letter, like, hey, hey, this this mm-hmm. is from the Lord. Let, let you know, let, let's not pretend that, that these things are ambiguous or, you know, like, oh, I don't know, or it's so theoretical. It's, it's, this is Jesus, the Lord, speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you see the intensity in those first opening verses here, kind of turning to look at things in some more detail. You know, he has a series of rhetorical questions, right? Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus? Aren't you my workmanship? I mean, you know, I mean, there's there's this kind of just— Hey guys, this is abundantly clear, um, and, and just and, and the way he he talks about it in this very like, you know, e- even if even if Jerusalem didn't call me an apostle, you would have to because because of how <laughs> I came to you, you know. I mean, like the immediacy of it, right? Like it's he's just kind of cutting through it all and saying, guys, y- you can't deny this. At the end of the day, you received the mm-hmm. gospel through me. You received the Spirit. You you all will admit as much. Right. Yeah. It's really an elaboration, if you will, on Galatians 3. If you began with the Spirit, are you now complaining about yourselves? I mean, this, these are really so obvious questions that they are simply yeah. a, a yes and no issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, there, there's not, they don't have to stop and think about this stuff here. It's, it's um, obvious to them, the reception of the Gospel and the reception of the, the Spirit. And and then so like kind of just getting getting to that here, he's like, okay, well, since you will have to acknowledge <laughs> that yes, I am an apostle, um, okay, then that means that I've got rights. And isn't that interesting? What he says, the the list of rights, right? You know, um, he in verse four, eat and drink. Uh, verse five, take along a believing wife. And, you know, this is kind of interesting. People have debated this stuff. You know, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Um, and then kind of going on, you know, to refrain from working for a living. So, I mean, what, what's going on here? What kind of rights is he talking about? And what does this mean about the other apostles and what rights they are possibly enjoying themselves? Well, the financial support of eating and drinking probably relates to what happens in the Corinthian congregation about their own debate about eating and drinking, where they can eat and drink. That Paul is asserting... Uh, yeah, we, we English speakers, American English speakers, have this challenge with right as if it dwells within us. But it's yeah. really this uh, the gift that do we not have as this position within the body of Christ to receive this from the other members of the body for our own well-being. And the body language right. of 1 Corinthians 12 probably helps a great deal here that it's not as if I can compel you, but rather this is by nature what happens within a body. This is how God mm-hmm. set up everything within his kingdom. It all serves each other. And I think that the issue of 
in verse 5 with believing wife is probably tied back to Genesis 1 and 2, that they're bound as one. You can't simply cleave a wife from her husband and expect her to live by herself while her husband serves the gospel. What is she going to do? She's right. bound to him. She's one flesh. So I think that probably plays into the whole idea of the uh, not simply cultural but biblical view of husband and wife. Right, and, and I think that that makes that makes a lot of sense of it. That, and I appreciate what you're saying too about the idea of right, because I mean that that is sort of the the, the most natural English equivalent for us. You know that we're talking about rights, but mm-hmm. I mean it is interesting that as you were saying. Um, it, it's not like kind of this inherent natural rights kind of, you know, the stuff that we talk about when we talk about like the Constitution and the Founding Fathers and stuff like that. Um, in, in verse 4, you know, in Greek, it's, you know, uh, do we not have, you know, exousion, the authority um, mm-hmm. to eat and drink? I mean, and, and in that sense, it's a right, but it's one, like you were saying, that's dependent on how God has set things up. It's because one in authority has said, hey— this is what you're going to do. This is what you can do. Like, I'm granting you to do this. And so understanding it that way, like you were saying, because it's by virtue of being in a particular position in the body, right, and not because, you know, like he, he is so special or, you know, because of what he is doing, well, doesn't doesn't he deserve this? Doesn't he have the right because he's working so hard? It's not that. It's It's because of this external authority that's in Christ— uh, I, I think that that really fits it together then, well, like you were saying with verse 5, that, well, I mean, if, if then by virtue of their position, uh, they are to be provided for, to have their food and drink provided for, well, by extension, their their families would, would go along with that, like you were saying, because otherwise you'd be talking about basically separating them from mm-hmm. their families, and the yeah. Lord's been very clear on that. Yeah, the whole issue of, as you mentioned quite clearly the, the Christological nature of the right, yeah, that Christ set aside, but because of his faithful obedience, his trust of the Father, he received all authority, the same word exousia. Or in Philippians 2, as we sort of the background of this, that after he had sacrificed himself, the Father exalts him, the Father gives him his full rights. And the right, right is a gift. It isn't because of hard work and effort. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, right. <laughs> uh, it, indeed. So so appreciating it that way, I, I think that this has a lot of questions or raises a lot of questions for us in our modern context, right? Because we are so oriented about giving compensation based upon performance or seniority mm-hmm. or whether or not the person is union <laughs> or whatever else the case is, right? But, I mean, I think that this, this really raises the question of, okay, so then how are we to be compensating people today, and, and particularly our pastors and our church workers? And, like, what is this saying to us in terms of what they have a right to, uh, not, not because of, you know, how, how hard they're, they're, they're working or because of how many degrees they have, but because of, as you were saying, their position in the body of Christ and— uh, well, I mean, we have we have to take our break already, but we'll, we'll just we'll just kind of chew on that for a minute, and we'll hopefully have a good chance to talk about that when we get back from the break. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at First Corinthians chapter nine here on Night Strong Word. We'll be right back.
Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Welcome back everybody to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 together today. Uh, already got uh, some questions that we got over the, the Facebook chat here, so we'll be taking a look at that in just a second. We're joined today by Pastor Stuart Crown, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California, looking at this text that Paul is talking about rights in, and how he's saying, hey, don't, don't I have certain rights as an apostle, as someone who preaches the gospel? Uh, and we're kind of asking the question, well, what does that say about how we should be treating and compensating pastors today? Um, is compensating even the right word? Uh, and, but yeah, really, really good questions, timely things here. Uh, if you have a question or comment for us, uh, as I mentioned, you, you can just uh, hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash So put your questions right there in the chat box. Um, you can also send an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can give us a call, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. And I uh, also want to make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that, was, that was the question that came in uh, online, you know, basically... You know, what what does this say about you know how I, I mean it is uh, basically the question was is Paul talking about church worker pay <laughs> so uh-huh. what, what what do you what do you what do you think I, I think that's certainly a derivative application I think he's really focusing upon um, the Corinthian issue of abuse of the body of Christ that there are some who call themselves knowledgeable who are wise, who look down upon God's gifts of office, whether it's a single, married, apostle, etc., within the congregation. And Paul says, okay, let's grant that those individuals have rights for the moment. Let's see where that goes and how it destroys the body of Christ when you exercise your authority to the detriment of others. And Paul says, I'm willing to set all of that aside— 
even in terms of my compensation, if we can use that term. So yeah. it's, a, it's a small facet of a much larger issue of service within the body. Right. So, yeah, we, we can't just go and uh, neglect everything that he's been leading up to, right, that he's actually been talking about, you know, rights. And, and so far in, in First Corinthians, in, in every instance that he talks about rights, he pretty his recommendation is pretty much you ought to give up your right. Um, you know, I mean, like, and in, in, in every really think about it. I mean, it's crazy. Back there in, um, in Chapter 5 and Chapter 6, he's talking about, uh, you know, marriage, right? And he's saying, like, mm-hmm. well— yeah, you have the right to get married, but probably be better if you didn't. Um, you know, even to someone who's engaged, right? He's like, yeah, well, you're engaged, but you don't actually have to get married, you know. Um, or, you know, so you don't have to exercise your rights. Or as you were saying, you know, hey, yeah, you have this knowledge, and you know that this food is, you know, it, it's just food. Um, it doesn't doesn't matter if someone puts like a, a Zeus thunderbolt stamped on this thing. <laughs> that that doesn't that doesn't mean anything, right? But but just because you have the right doesn't mean you should do it. Um, I, th- I think this is mm-hmm. kind of that, that paraphrase, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And right. in, in Paul's advice here and throughout First Corinthians, it's pretty much, you know, you can, but, but, don't, but just don't do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not locked into a machine as if you're simply a machine cog. You have the will of Christ. You have the mind of Christ, and you can willingly then submit or offer yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why wouldn't you want to love your apostle as yourself? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want him at your table, feeding him with what you have? Right. Well, so so then, so I, I think then that really challenges the way that we're, that I, I think we often kind of frame the question, because, you know, I just think of, you know, like in the LCMS, you know, we got like pay scales and there's like a, there's like a minimum that de- districts set for um, for the, the pulpit supply rates, right? Mm-hmm. There's all there's all these things, and it's like okay, this is this is how much. Um, and, and Paul's just saying here, like guys, if we're if we're stuck on how much do you have to pay and what's the minimum, we're not even looking at the question the right way. I would agree to that. Or how to reframe it? Yes. I mean, in, in the Bay Area, in California in general, except in some <laughs> rural areas, uh, it's the housing component which really distorts the question. It's very difficult for anybody yeah. to move into the area unless the congregation has an exceptionally large uh, housing component or has houses, as this congregation does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's, a, that's a distortion that that messes with all kinds of things, even, even yeah. outside of, um, you know, the pastorate, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no. And, and so, you know, you just, you gotta be, and I think that's kind of a little bit of what Paul's getting at though. We got to look at the particular situation here and ask ourselves the question, well, what is, what does the body of Christ need here? Right. And, and then, and start with that. Like, let, let's look at the need and, and then, move on from there, because, I mean, isn't that the move? When when Paul gets to verse 12, um, the second half of verse 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's, that's just really fascinating, I think, because, you know, earlier he was saying, you know, if, if eating meat would cause my brother to stumble— 
uses that that word you know literally in the greek scandalize right mm -hmm. um then i'll just th there there we go i'm vegetarian boom done you know without question my rights are you know are out the window you know but but here it's like even stronger i feel like because he's saying you know what if, if anything that i might do might put uh, a kind of obstacle then just forget about it there goes my rights and he it's just it's just automatic um like you were saying like the mind the mind of christ so yeah on the one hand he talks about it in terms of like he doesn't have to do that and there's like a reward because it's kind of going beyond the minimum mandate but the way he just does it automatically really speaks to as you were saying how he's been changed mm -hmm. not to tread on anybody else's territory sort of so to speak but in 10 chapter 14 uh chapter 10 verse 14 yeah. he says flee idolatry and that's sort of the the exhortation as it were from chapters 8 through 10 that if you pursue yeah. this route route of doing what is lawful for you but yet beneficial is it not idolatrous in some way flee from these things run away um, and so yeah that's that's that you go, go ahead, ahead. Well, I was well, going to say that that's really interesting how, you know, you can you can link this to idolatry. And, and he's going to develop this more clearly throughout and going forward that whose advantage are you seeking? Are, are you mm -hmm. seeking your own advantage, your own benefit, right? Like, well, gosh, I mean, if we if we had to pay him that much, I mean, we'd have to be all giving that much and then we wouldn't be able to spend this. And then we would, you, you know, and so, you know, there's this view of like, well, how can we kind of like, you know, do what's best for the budget, right? Uh, uh -huh. But but Paul's just saying, like, guys, it, don't look at it in terms of what's the best for yourselves. What's what's the best for others, the, the body of Christ? And yeah, when you're talking about you know what bottom line are you looking at, that really quickly does. I think you're right. Get to a question of idolatry. Uh, to pull up on to pull back on what you said in from chapter eight. Um, yeah. In the last two verses of chapter 8, he speaks in terms of you sin or you're doing this, but then in verse 13 he speaks about what I do. And I suppose that could be seen as sort of Paul boasting about himself as Paul. But to look at it overall in like 1 Corinthians 2 about the crucified Christ, that's really what he's proclaiming when he says I. And I think it's easy to lose that crucified Christ and Paul when you just see Paul speaking. I mean, his argument in this chapter goes through the practice of the apostles, the custom of all the churches, the citation of the Old Testament, and then the command of Jesus himself. And you don't hear Paul boasting about himself, but rather everything, as it were, outside of Paul that is meant to persuade and inform the Corinthians as to what is the uh, the life in Christ within the Corinthian congregation. I, I think so, and I think that one of the one of the big things that that really uh, I, I had not, I think, given adequate consideration to is you know we're going to get to First Corinthians chapter fifteen uh, by God's uh, grace, and the, the thing that's so interesting about it is that. In, in the English translation, we have, you know, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, right? Um, but, like, I'm not I'm not sure that it actually means, like, remind there. I mean, the, the word that's used there, the verb, it's, uh, it, it doesn't 
mean remind in pretty much any other context. Um, it, it seems to always be reveal or um, you know bring to light or you know shine light on or something like that. And so I, I really have been thinking about this and just pondering it lately. You know, is he actually in chapter fifteen saying, "Now, um, brothers, I have been talking to you this whole time about the gospel. <laughs> this everything I've been talking about. This is the gospel that I preach to you. Like all this stuff, like all these recommendations and guidance and 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 these different topics. This is just me unpacking the gospel. And and I and I really. I'm drawn to this idea because just like what you were saying that, you know, when, when he's talking about himself and the things that he is doing and his grounds for boasting, I mean, isn't he just trying to create a picture of what Christ himself has done and does? Well, certainly I do think that's the case. I mean, that's how Paul does begin this entire epistle about relating their identity to the crucified and risen Christ and not about who they are attached to as apostle or to their knowledge. It's always back to who Christ is. And all of the arguments in 1 Corinthians, it's always back to who Christ is, the proclamation of the word. Never to Paul's identity, never to the person's status in society, never to the gift one has, but always to that life in Christ worked out in love. Yes. And, and and getting and yeah he's always he's always getting to back to love and and I think that um, very appropriately then in First Corinthians thirteen we're going to have very explicitly love yeah. brought up as okay. as the subject um, and going into fourteen as well uh, but that that is like where where all this is going it's it's Christ his love um, and not how oh well he had all this you know knowledge and um, all all these rights and and all the rest of it. Um, so I want to like try to develop this here with a, with another question then. So, you know, if if he's really trying to talk about you know, you know so okay, really guys, th- this is this is just what Christ has done for us. This is what Christ you know does for us. I, I think it really speaks to me for our present situation because you know he's looking at you know at the situation where the Corinthians they say, well, okay, we have these new Christians and they think that just because you know, they see a Zeus thunderbolt. I, I, I'm saying that, by the way, but like, I don't think they did that kind of branding. <laughs> but, but just you know, as a shorthand, they see the Zeus thunderbolt and they're like, "Oh man, like we can't buy that." You know, it's like dirty somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 Paul is, I think, kind of granting them that. Okay, yeah, you know what? They're wrong. You're right. Okay, you're correct. They're incorrect. They have a misunderstanding. But you know what? go with their misunderstanding anyway out of love. I, I mean, yeah. and, and that's just, that's, I think, to me, the thing that's just, what? You know, like, we, we just, we chafe against that, the, the thought that we would, that we would just kind of grant that someone in the wrong, right, that someone who's violating our rights, who factually has misinterpreted the Constitution or, or, or the Bill of Rights, and we're just going to say, you know what, okay, whatever, we're going to go with what you say and and wrongly minimize my rights for, for your sake let's just go ahead and do that and and, and i think we chafe but like you, you just think about that again that, that high priest picture there's the lord jesus christ the the ultimate high priest the son of david and there he is like su- submitting himself before uh, before you know i mean the, the herods um you know, there he is submitting himself before the high priest 
these guys who they, they didn't have the right to be there they were appointed by the romans you know the herods i mean they weren't even hebrew <laughs> they were mm-hmm. they were edomites that that took over with the blessing of of, of rome um you know all, all of all of the the high priests for i mean those those generations they weren't legitimate high priests they were just the ones that the romans put there because they knew that they would keep the peace and basically do what they wanted and 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 so to to have christ be before people who have no rights they're they're usurpers everything they they're doing is totally invalid um and yet he says okay i'm going to listen to you okay well let's go with what you say okay you're right go ahead and sentence me to death i I mean it's just it, it just makes i think all of our chafing seem really superficial Oh, uh, I mean, you cannot have put it more bluntly than that. Um, you know, when, when Paul, you know, Paul has the same argument with the Galatians in chapter six. Yeah. About you know, brothers, you who are spiritual uh, should restore, should uphold, should carry those who are weaker. Um, wrong if they're wrong. Uh, let's call them weaker. Let's call them growing. Let's call them immature at this point. Mm-hmm. Don't you want them to to mature as you are? Well, then come alongside and uh, be the older brother. I don't know what language language we might want to use, but be the older brother and teach, be a mentor, um, support them. Yeah. Don't let yeah. Them no, I I think uh, I, I think I think the idiom in our in our language right is be the bigger man, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which of course is of course it's fraught with difficulty because you know we kind of pat ourselves on the back and be like, hey, look at me, I'm. I'm the bigger man, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> aren't I so magnanimous? And of course, Paul is uh-huh. also, you know, talking about don't puff yourself up, right? Oh, don't go right. getting, you know, too big for your own britches, right? So, yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul might not be the biggest fan of, of, of that idiom, but I mean, yeah, I, I think it is, it is uh, something. And, and so, you know, brother, you know, we're, we're, you know, here in California and we're thinking about, you know, all these restrictions, like you got to worship outside and like, oh, you got to wear masks and oh, you can't sing. Right. And and there's like a lot going on. That's like, Hey, isn't that a violation of our rights? And they, they can't do that. And, um, I think there's honestly a lot to it. I, I think those arguments are actually like pretty compelling arguments and like, yeah, they, they, they probably can't. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's, pro- that's probably overstepping their bounds legally. Um, but I mean, it's a different thing about then. What are, so? What are we going to do though? And the Christian is primarily interested in like what's the best way to love people and take care of people, uh, not to figure out, hey, uh, who's right and how can I get the best deal and and defend my turf. Yes, I I think that's generally how this congregation has pursued the adherence to these county and state mandates that we will use them as well as we can, and um, if there is a way to, can I say, exploit in the best possible manner for the gospel, we, we will do that. Uh, but we do not want to provide a, a poor witness to the neighbors that look at all these golf laws, and they have actually have no concern right. for us. Why would we ever want to do anything with that congregation if they don't care for our bodily welfare, which is a big thing right. in this area. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and and you think about that too. Like I, I, I feel like I've been told several times, you know, by by pretty smart, educated people, 
okay, you, you know, that kind of mask basically does nothing, you know, or, or they'll say like, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this, but then you go and you touch that. It's like, it's like, it didn't even matter. And, and they're like kind of pointing out logically how, I mean, really flawed a, a lot of the, the thinking is like how, and how it's mm -hmm. almost kind of superstitious, right? It's almost right. superstitious how it's just like, okay, you think you're doing all this stuff and therefore everything's clean and safe, but yeah, no, look <laughs> at the bigger picture. It kind of amounts to nothing, yeah. and, and I think that actually is very analogous here because the first in, here in, in Corinth, here in First Corinthians, they were saying these weaker brothers—they're like superstitious. They think it's like Zeus meat, like, like they're wrong. Um, but but Paul's saying, you know what? Just deal with their superstition and just do it because you love them. And I'm thinking about children, right? How our, our children sometimes like they get these crazy ideas, like oh if. You know, if I don't turn the light on or leave the light on, like a monster is going to come get me. And of course, they're wrong. But what am I going to do? Stand there and be like, Ellie, you are incorrect. There are no such things as the. You know, I mean, I mean, just stand there for the next half hour. Or am I going to leave the light on and say, okay? I mean, you just love doesn't have to be right all the time. Yeah, there's this. Uh, you raise the issue of long-term caring for an, any any individual within the body of Christ. That is not simply a matter of giving lecture once or providing one example, right. but rather, as Paul would have said, look at my whole life, and which he does in Second yeah. Corinthians, about all that I've suffered. And so it's the, the ongoing witness that you want to provide for the young child growing up who wants the light on, or for the brother and sister in Christ who, as you say, eats the Zeus meat or the, uh, the Bacchus, drinks the Bacchus wine, I don't, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, so just, just, just thinking about you know what? It's 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 this person first. It's what I can do for them first. And um, of course, you know, like you were saying, it the, the calculus gets a little bit tricky because it's not just you know let let me just do whatever I can for you know our beloved governor, right? Like, and it's like, well, you know, certainly, you know, anything I can do to to serve and and show humility and submissiveness, right, um, to the, the government and all the rest, right, is, is good, but like you were saying, I'm, I'm also thinking about the community at large, right? And, and so um, they need the gospel, <laughs> and, and they need the gospel really badly, and, and they also need human contact really badly, right? So, I mean, you, you have to start balancing things, but it's, it's not about—you're not really balancing rights as much as you are balancing needs— that you're trying to show love for, you know, and that's just, it's just a different way of framing the question. Mm -hmm. so, so speaking of like how these things are framed here, I, I want to get back to this and just because here he is in, in verse 15, getting, getting to this uh, 15 and 16 here, uh, this boasting thing again, you know, it just, it just seems like kind of alien to this whole equation. Like if, if, if all of this is about just like, Hey, let's just love the person. Um, let's just do what they need. Like, why are we talking about boasting here? But here it is here in, in 15 and 16. I'd rather die. <laughs> Strong language, rather intense. I'd rather die than have someone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, I guess we know ground for boasting. Necessities laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Uh, but, but then, he, you know, he goes on here, right? Um, but then what's my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. Right. And so so there mm -hmm. he's like, OK, well, there is a ground for boasting. Like, what does he mean ground for boasting? Why is this important? Well, I think you uh, we can begin with that first word in verse uh, 16 and also um, verse 15 that he begins by saying, I, 
uh, that this is his I identity. So to boast really isn't boasting about himself, but rather boasting about the office he's been given, boasting about the proclamation, boasting about Christ, uh, which he does go back to in First Corinthians 2 about what, is, what does one boast in? But in, in Christ Jesus and his cross. So if he doesn't boast in that, live this way, he's actually denying not only his call, but the Lord who called him. So he must go on boasting in this way. Um, and so I think he's using, he's picking up the Corinthian language to benefit the proclamation of the gospel, as he often does in this epistle. I'll, I'll grant you what you're saying, yeah. but now let yeah. me use the language properly. Let me reframe the discussion so that you see Christ more yeah. clearly rather than yourself. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's really interesting then, to think of it that way, that, okay, so Christ, you know, just by, by nature of the, the church, uh, the gospel, the office of the public ministry, you know, here, here's, here's apostleship, right? And here's kind of basic structure of that, you know, rights or, you know, authority granted. Um, there's that angle on that, kind of these positions. But then, right, like you, like you were saying, but then there's the fact that he's not just calling positions, right? He's not just calling an apostleship into an existence, but he's calling people, individuals. And, and that means certain things for each one of us. And because he's calling Paul, well, Paul is someone we know from the rest of his letters that he can get by without being paid. Um, he's, he's got this tent-making trade. He's got connections. He's um, really well-educated. Uh, he knows how to leverage uh, law and the system to the benefit of others. So, I mean, he's in a position where he doesn't need it. And, and so that's just really interesting to me to think that, like, God has actually called each of us as Christians— each of us who has a position, who has you know a certain certain grounds or certain rights, and part of the call is to give those up. That that we would show who Christ is, and that each of us mm-hmm. we're going to be giving up something that doesn't look necessarily the same. You know, some of us are going to be giving up prestige. Some of us are going to be giving up money. Some of us are going to be giving up comforts. Um, yeah, some of us are going to be giving up. I, I mean, I mean, health or safety, but but. God has called us all, and he, he has given us each a particular position to, to show people who Christ is. And that's, that's really interesting to me to think about that, that Paul's like, okay, yeah, there's me as an apostle, but then there's just me, and look at my story. And it's not that I have a ground for boasting, but uh, in, in the sense of like, oh, look at me, but like, oh, look at Christ because of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, he says that to the Ephesians, imit- the imitation in chapter 5 Right, um, the whole the whole idea of a, a pattern, uh, not that you become Christ-like, but that you are, and that you're living within the pattern that God has given to you. And that Paul then makes a great deal of uh, well, the comparisons at the end of the chapter of how then he strives to fulfill that pattern. Uh, if you think that athletes work hard at this, look at my own life. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, no, and, and that's uh, that, that's helpful, right? Because when he when he's talking about this, right? Okay, so on the one hand, he's like he has the stewardship metaphor, right? In verse seventeen, um, I'm I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. 
So he's kind of just looking at, you know, there's this kind of stewardship metaphor for, yeah, he, he gives the apostles, preachers, these things, that's what we do. But then he switches to the athlete metaphor, right, at the end. Um, and he's saying, you know, that's like what, what I'm talking about, about the way I give up things for myself as an individual. You know, and, he, and he's talked about that in, in the previous, he talked about self-control, right? Every athlete exercises mm-hmm. self-control. He's talked about self-control earlier. He said, I wish that, you know, everyone was as I am uh, because, you know, Paul was voluntarily not getting married, right? Um, so we're all put in these positions um, and, and collectively, as we each give up all these, I mean, really in the big scheme, little things, but as we each give up these little things, it, it puts together this tapestry of how Christ gave up everything. Yeah. Yes. You know, the language and to backtrack maybe just a bit into verse 19, the ESV uses the word servant. He makes himself a servant of all, but it's probably a bit more uh, profound. He says, I make myself a slave to all, yeah. that his will is not long. He's not this hired hand, but rather he is by nature put into this position, and that's simply what he now is. And he will use everything within him for the sake of the gospel, that all people might know this. So, so then when we're, we're thinking about our contemporary questions of, you know, getting back to like, you know, pastors and churches and how much should people get paid, I mean, re- really it's, it's like, hey, there, there, are, there are indeed um, rights and positions within the church that we shouldn't ignore, but how can each of us, with the gifts we've been given, give up something, not so we can boast, but so that people can look at Christ and understand Christ all the more? Yeah, Thank you, you so much, praying. brother. Thank you, thank you so much, brother, for just unpacking that and pointing us to Christ here in these chapters. God bless you and your ministry there in Palo Alto. God's peace be with you. Thank you, brother, and also with you, everybody. Pastor Stuart Crown in Trinity, Palo Alto, California, going on to chapter 10. Put some pieces together. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. You've been listening peace. to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.